Daily DVR Dives into Mindhunter is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Look good when you step out in the morning. Elevate your style. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today and save 20% on your order. No minimum. Use code DVR20. That's all you got to do. Use code DVR20 today and save 20% off your order. If you've got an event coming up, if you've got... If you just want to look good, go to cufflinks.com and they'll help you out. They've even got a blog over there that details how to get prepared for these big events and order everything for everyone. You know, that can be a hassle. Let cufflinks.com help you do that. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back, everyone, to Daily DVR Does Mine Hunter. I'm your host, Heath Solo. Axel Foley will be joining me in just a gif. And just to give you just one of those little reminders, uh, you can go to uh, DVRpodcast.com. Check out DVR Podcasts, all of them. We got Westworld coming up. We have great uh, Oscar show Axel and Andy did. Go back and listen if you haven't, if you're still watching those Oscar movies and want to you know, get some insight. All kinds of pods. And you know what? If you like what we do, especially here on uh, Daily DVR Does Mindhunter, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash DVR, and you can uh, subscribe for as little as a couple bucks a month, and you get daily podcasts. Uh, there's so many out there, and Axel does an amazing job with just putting together and bringing new people on and really spicing it up. So it's worth it. Heck, I'm a part of this company, and I'm a patron, just to let you know. So, you know, join join the community. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if you get a chance, especially with this pod uh, on your phone, leave us an iTunes review. Uh, it'd be great. It just helps us get noticed, and uh, it attracts other people so people can read up quickly on us. Like, oh, what is this pod? What do people think of this pod? So, anyway, enough of that. We're excited. Today we're going to be talking Mindhunter Season 2. Episode 4 of Season 2, directed by Andrew Dominic. And I'm excited because Atlanta is starting to gain some steam. So, this is the time. I transform into my Bill Tench, and my Holden Ford is waiting for me. Or is it Wendy? I don't know. Axel, what's up, buddy? <laughs> I guess I'm a little bit of both solo. A little bit of Holden, a little <laughs> bit of Wendy, baby. Um, I'm doing good, Maybe even a little Ted Gunn in you. Maybe, maybe, maybe Smith too. You never know. Depends on the day. Um, I am doing great, man. This was a fantastic episode. Um, Excuse me. I'm glad that you brought up that Andrew Dominic directed it because that's really, it was interesting that, um, you know, we've talked a lot about Fincher and, and some of the other directors and man, this episode it's just so expertly directed and the lighting and the just the 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 production really blew me away maybe because this is such um it's a it's a weird episode you know we've been doing them kind of grouping them by what happens and like we talked about before the episode started this is really just, there's so much happens in this it's kind of like the most um like I don't know how to do like TV like of the episode so far. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
it's kind of, I don't want to call it, I was thinking of the word we often use like filler episode or bridge episode, but this is such a great one. It's new things happen, but it's just, we've got a lot going on and he really ties it together with the direction. I mean, just starting off with the shot of the guy talking to the kid in the car, where it's just from the side the whole time, you know, I mean, they just, Mm -hmm. when they, when he goes for it, he just goes for it, especially the lighting too. There's so many shots in the dark in this. This really reminded me of Killing Them Softly, the movie he did with Brad Pitt. Oh, um, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. I that, really like that movie. It has the same feel, you know, that they're... I think that that movie, I think, took place in Detroit, and this is Atlanta, but you're getting that same kind of... Just kind of um, like bleak city suburban landscape, you know, like just cracked pavement and tr- and like grass growing out of the ground. It just, you know, like that fight between kind of um, like man and nature. It's just, I don't know. It's just really I was blown away, man. Yeah, it's almost like Axel, like an artistic bridge. Yeah, it's like it's like it would be like kind of like I'm not going to I don't want to say it's kind of like a network type episode, but it it, it has that formula because it kind of goes in order. And it's because we were dealing with some stuff early. Now we're bridging to some new storylines. So you needed this episode here. But like you said, it doesn't feel like filler. It's it's well done. It's like I what I wish network TV was every episode. Uh it just it did have this feel. It's still the Mindhunter feel, but it feels like it's opening up new doors. Uh with capturing, you know, Maryland and Atlanta and Texas a little bit. I mean, it, it, I mean, you don't go deep into the Texas thing cuz you go to the prison, but there's a you know, great shot overhead shot there that it just really uh captures it. But yeah, no, this is, and what's amazing is, like you said, in the first scene, we have uh, a, a black man trying to pick up a, a little boy, and the kid's like, no, I'm just walking, you know, I'm, I don't need a ride, and then he offers him money, and he's like, well, how much, you know, $2, and then he gets in. And then it goes to the credits, and then, I mean, this is, might be the first time, Axel, then the scene continues after the credits. Yep. Usually we get like a BTK or a, a, some sort of cold open and then it transitions to something else. This continues. And, of course, we find out that uh, it's Holden's idea is kind of doing some recon uh, in Maryland but about uh, – you know, what could be going on in Atlanta. And then, of course, we get Smith, uh, the white man, trying to, you know, hey, kids, uh, come into my car. And they're like, hey, show me your penis. Well, you got to say you're a cop. And then they, the grandmother's like, are you talking to my kids? And he's oh like, oh, God. you know. That was hilarious, but, man, because those kids turned that on him so fast. And I have to say, as a guy who has taught little kids and done like been a summer camp counselor and stuff, I like I've run into kids that could just like talk like they were adults when they were little or just didn't take your bullshit. And Mm -hmm. I felt bad for Smith here, man, because he was kind of trying in the beginning, but 
this episode is really we kind of return to him a little bit, you know, there, damn, there's so much in this that you don't realize that too, is that we get a little bit more of him than we've gotten this season. And we get to see like where he stands in the unit and stuff. And he's kind of, I think, you know, like testing the waters. He's working with Holden here later. He's with Wendy, you know, but it just shows that he's maybe not the best field agent, you know, because not I'm, only that, Axel. What and and let me run this by you real quick. Uh, so they're doing the test, you know, you know, in Maryland versus the South. Could it be a difference of way kids are raised and? The way, like, you know, you have that, I mean, oh, it's Maryland. It just felt like, I mean, it's more, you know, kind of Baltimore-ish. Is it more like how Northeast kids are raised versus being more polite in the South? Yeah, you know, I mean. You know, in 1980, could it be? I mean, I think or is it just by not, luck? Yeah, I think that it's just he's just trying to get the basics here. You know what I mean? Because I thought mm-hmm. about that same thing in, in uh, reference to Smith. Like, you're going to get, like the worst white guy to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's so yeah, awkward. I know, I know. Like probably if a guy was, he would be a little bit smoother. And, and I think that there are many white people who could have responded in a way that would have convinced the kids and also not approach them in front of their house in view of adults, which the other guy. Oh, didn't. that's true. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different, you know, I think if you break it down, um, kind of, you know, behavioral science unit way, if Tench wanted to, he could have brought up those points. But I think in general, it was just kind of showing us the way Holden is taking initiative in backing up what his instinct is. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought that that was an interesting point, you know, because usually he'd just be like, I'm right. But now he's like actually running a little op here. And, and getting yeah. some it, info. It, it, it reminded me of The Wire a little bit, didn't it? Mm, Especially yeah. when Holden gives uh, the agent like a big bill and he goes, you don't have anything smaller? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering, how is he going to break the change? Is he going to go to a store to break it? How is he going to pay the kids? One of you the know? kids is just going to grab it and run out of the car is what's going to happen. And he's going to let the other kids <laughs> run after him. And then uh, the little, uh, I mean, this is technically before Better Off Dead, but $2. I was just thinking, <laughs> I want my $2. Yeah, I caught that too. I want my $2. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I like, I, I, you know, at first I just assume it, you assume it's Atlanta. And I think, Axel, why it was shot that way, it made sense to like kind of fool us. Like, oh, is this, could this be the Atlanta uh, you know, kidnapper, um, yes. you know, is this happening? Yeah. Are we seeing it? And I think that's why, I mean, cause you really focus on the kid, you know? Uh, and then of course, when you see his face and everything, you're like, Oh, wait a minute, this isn't this. Kid. Okay. And then, so I, I like the way they did that because you feel like, cause it felt like Atlanta a little bit, even though it was like Maryland, it just, you know, it just felt like it could be Atlanta. Well, I think that's what I that's what I really enjoy about um, Dominic and this show too. Is I think that they're trying to show like kind of America. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter um, 
like in Killing Me Softly, I think they actually, I think there's parts of Detroit, but I think they traveled to like Florida, New York, and all these different places, and it still just looks the same. You know, it's yeah, like you're yeah. living in a kind of a certain world, and it's right, that, it's right. that intersection of like, you know, just kind of man and nature, and I it was just yeah, man, I love that shot too. The way they just fix the camera to the side of the uh, car. And, yeah. um, and the guy's head is just kind of, it's up to him to frame himself. And like, that's good acting too, right? To, to know where the camera is and to keep, he, it's like, it's perfect where his face is and everything. And oh yeah. You know, that's everyone working together, but that's hard to accomplish while you're it. And that's cars probably on a moving rig too. He's not driving. Sure. Especially yeah. for a and, shot and- like that. Yeah, and like you mentioned with the acting, it's because this is the thing. Like, you know, people, it's tough. You know, of course, it's tough being an actor, and it's tough trying to get a break and get work. And, you know, the big catch-22 is like, well, how am I supposed to get work if, you know, they look at my resume, I have nothing, and then I can't get work? And that's why when you're a young actor, it's important to do tons of student films, little indie productions to get your feet wet because you – because a lot of that is they look at a resume and they say, okay, you've done a lot of stuff. So, because when you're on a set, it's all about, you know, Axel blocking. And like you said, knowing where the camera is and knowing how to move in a lot of movement and with experience that comes because like for me, when I'm on a set, I know, okay, the camera's there. I, I automatically go into this world and I'm just, I know exactly what to do, what my limitations are, where to hit my mark, where to keep, you know, and that comes with experience. And so this actor definitely, I mean, we don't know the behind the scenes, but he, it was like perfect. I mean, it could have been yeah. just one take. It was perfect. He might've moved his head, did something that he wasn't supposed to, but probably not. I just have the feeling knowing Fincher, knowing Dominic, knowing this production that, you know, you're getting actors that have been there before. And that that's part of the, the, lu- the luxury of have using experienced actors because that's type of stuff you as you're creating, as you know, Axel, you you don't want to have to worry about if you're dealing with an actor who has no idea, never been on set before, or really hasn't done this. It the time is money, and and that's part of the reason why you're like, okay, we need someone who's been there before. Yeah, that's a hard shot, man. Because you, yeah. you're, I mean, there. I would guess, and I haven't seen a behind the scenes that it is like a whole like a trailer where they're pulling the car along, right? Or not pulling it, it's like yeah. sitting on it. And the cameras are fixed there, and there's a whole crew behind it that we can't see. But for the guy to keep, for the car to move and the kid to stay in the frame too, especially with the little stops and starts, um, and then the guy to keep his face there too and not lean too much this way or that way, it's difficult. Um, and yes, who knows, and especially sometimes. for a young kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, but like you're saying too, who knows? Sometimes you get there and it seems like it's going to be such a hard shot and then you just knock it out. It's like, yeah, the kid's Hope, great. The guy yeah. does great. The driver is great and it all works out. But that kind of sets the tone for this episode in I mean, just amazingly shot, man. 
It's really beautiful. Yeah. And so it's really so so much shadows and, and uh, blurry stuff. A lot of darkness. Well, speaking of beautiful, uh, our boy Bill Tench is sitting at his desk looking at pictures. And we find out it looks like he's looking at the old Ada Jeffries case yeah. uh, from Fayetteville. So he calls to talk to uh, Detective McGraw. But unfortunately, uh, Detective McGraw is no longer with us, Axel. As Detective Needham says, yeah, he's not with us. So it looks like he is dead. He, they yep. found him in his at a welfare check, found him at home. Um, so I start thinking, I'm trying to think, oh, man, which which actor, which which character is this? I know the name. I'm trying to think, oh, yeah, the church sweeping. Yeah. And a, so wh- why do you think they had this scene here, Axel? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that... It's it, one of the things I, I've noticed this season is them putting in some callbacks like this and also just showing mm-hmm. them kind of how all the cases work together to form what they do going forward, right? Like they don't right. – ju- it's not just like, okay, we have a big high-profile case. We're doing that and then they kind of move on. They are still – growing as a behavioral sciences unit and they and Tench has his instincts too so I think it's showing a little bit of perhaps a little we it may be some foreshadowing of what we might see um, but I think also it may be connected in Tench's mind to what's going on at the home front yes yes I agree 100% it looks like he's kind of looking in and he's trying to piece that. Because right now, Bill's headspace is what's going on at home. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's evitable when Holden wants to drop a theory, as Atlanta theory, as Smith and Wendy are in the room and Bill comes in and is like, wait, what's going on? And he's against Holden doing a profile, especially dealing because we haven't been called in. Why, why are you wasting yep. time on this? And then, of course, um, uh Ted Gunn comes in, sits down, and is interested. <laughs> and like, so well, that's such a great scene where he's like, "Okay, let me listen to you." You know, he just kind of sits down, and everybody, you, you get that kind of static shot where even Wendy oh, yeah. is kind of like, "Well, what are you going to do, Holden?" And then Holden just talks like yeah. he just goes right into it. It's Holden, man. Come on, <laughs> what do you think he's going to get nervous and, or something? He does it. Yeah. Yeah, because Bill's a little frustrated, but he's respectful when Ted's in there. He, Bill has this way about him. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Wendy's just kind of looking, and you know she wants to say something, but she's just observing. She's become the observer. Uh, and, you know, it's just – and then the big thing is it's just uh, holding so proud. He's like, it's a black man. That's what – and and which is – I think huge. They're like a black guy in Atlanta. Okay, Holden. Okay, Holden. Great. But this is great, though, right? And I think you're about to say this because later in the episode, I think it affects the way Holden fucks up later um, in front of the commissioner. This scene here, because the way they're just like, oh, okay, big deal. It's a black guy. In that context... They're talking about it in behavioral sciences and in um, making up a profile. And you're thinking, okay, you're going to profile what? 
half the population of the city and especially in in the in this area here your profile what 90 percent of the pop you know like of the population of men you're not winnowing it down but then when he says it later it has political ramifications because of the Mm -hmm. commissioner not wanting it to be within the community so i think that's an interesting juxtaposition these scenes have um, but I'd like what you brought up before. I had never considered that, that Tench didn't want him to get into this because he didn't want to be traveling to Atlanta. Yeah, he's got his stuff at home. Yeah, He'd rather I just not even stay thought put. about that that way, Heath. That's yeah. so smart, man. Oh, well, you know, once in a while I come up with things. But you're right because later on when Jim and uh, Holden are talking – and, and and Holden's like, it doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. And Jim's like, well, it's yes, it does. Yeah. You know, and like Holden's trying to be like, hey, you know, but Jim's breaking it down a little bit. Like, hey, you, we're in Atlanta, and it's it's a big difference here. So, so of course they can't. Uh, you know, Holden's shocked that Ted knows what's going on, even though you know Ted's clued in. But Holden's just like, oh, you know about this. Stuff's coming over the wire. And he's basically telling Holden, use your instinct, do your thing, but we can't just yet. But, you know, do some work, but just hold your horses. So then we get a transition. Oh, we get but a little, I wanted I to say, oh, oh go. Oh, oh um, of course. I thought it was interesting the way that what came up earlier in the season where Ted was saying things to Holden like, and he was also saying it to Tension Wendy, kept on using the word, let him use his instincts. And then Holden kind of repeats it back in front of all of them. Oh, like, yeah. My yeah. instinct is, and then Tench is like, well, you know Holden's instincts. So it's become kind <laughs> of like a little thing between them already. And right, also the yeah. way that Gunn points out that this is a high profile, this could be, a high profile case, right? Like mm-hmm. the reason he's interested is for that reason. And that brings up the kind of push and pull between the science and the uh, caseload. And also the way that Tench is kind of pulled between uh, at times agreeing with Wendy, but then also being attracted to wanting to do the cases, you know, but wanting to stay home. So it's really a complex, man. I don't know. You know, man, it was just about at this point that I was watching this and I'm like, how did, man, how did this not win all the Emmys for the writing? And the, this is like, this show is amazing. It's really complex. And I just think that, I was thinking the same you know, thing. I mean, maybe it's the serial killer vibe or that it's a it's dark, but I just and just the direction of this ep- this whole episode blew me away. Um, I know we spend a fair amount of each podcast just reminding everyone how awesome the show is. How awesome it is, is I know. They're like, all right, guys, we know. I just You're doing feel a podcast like, about it. You know, like when there is when in five years or something or 10 years, there's going to be like all these retrospectives. How did people miss Mindhunter amongst all? And it's like all the streaming, all the stuff that's out. How was this not like a game of Thrones level, like people on the edge of their seat when we just get into things. And it's uh 
don't know, maybe it's the way Netflix releases things or just, that this show is just so adult and deep and artistic that it might be just hard for some people to get into it as much. But and and, I, and it's and you know, like a, it's serial killer stuff. So a lot of people Yeah, it could it's dark. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be a victim of just too much stuff out yeah. there. But it, it reminds me too, Axel. I mean, even The Wire took it took True. a while. It didn't yep. really get the 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 you know the viewership and the awards, and then it seemed to have a little life later on. It it was like the people that you know it was like the in thing to be like, oh, have you seen The Wire? I'm like, yeah, I watched it when it you know. And it's like it, it kind of had a little run, and it's still talked about among people this day. And some people watch it for the first time now, you know. So uh, you're right. So all right, Wendy is going on a first date with her bartender girl. What's what's the character's first name again? Do you remember? Her name is Kay Kay Mason, and the actress' name is Lauren Glazier. She's great. She looks like uh, like a seventies bartender kind of like she has this great look. Great she d- yeah, dude. That. The way she looks, the way she moves her body. You know who? What she really? You know who she reminds me of? And this sounds crazy, but she reminds me of Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. <laughs> Does it just like? Oh. She kind of like moves like him. I, I don't, as I was watching oh, it, I was yeah. like, did she take yeah. inspiration from him or something? Like, she's just so confident. It's <laughs> really, I, I love these scenes. And I know that um, kind of looking at some of the Facebook groups or whatnot, some people have felt that this storyline was a little bit forced or injected into uh, this season. And I just really didn't feel that way. I thought that this was a great way to not only show um, the character of Wendy, um, but an aspect of what they're studying too. You know, this this is a lot sexuality and the mm-hmm. difference between something that is harmful and something that is just different is something that they really come to grips with. As we see later in the episode, when Smith just assumes that she makes up the story, right? He's like, where did you get that from? He doesn't think that she's pulling a Holden, which she is. Um, I think this stuff is great. Yeah, and she's a great actress. And just the way they are together and and i think it i don't know man i i love this stuff too and again like you say the way this bowling alley scene is shot even when she pulls up in front of her house the light it's just beautiful the way it's so backlit and um oh i love that yeah yeah. i mean because like i said before with like the sound of the people and then we hear her off screen in her apartment thanks for mentioning the sound editing on that yeah it's great the mixing yeah, and it's just it's just too you know with the door and like she just kind of has leaves her door open like a lot of people left their doors unlocked back yeah. in the day. It's just it's just a great. It was almost it's almost like a stage play, but it's it's done so well. But you know one thing about the bowling alley scene, aside from getting uh, the Doobie Brothers China Grove and More Than a Feeling by Boston playing uh, 
in the and then oh, when she when uh that's a classic. I mean, and all these songs really relate well to what's going on in the scene. Like with when uh, Wendy pulls up the I'm Lucky song by Joan Arma Trading, I think is her name. Um, Arma Trading, Arma Trotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. <laughs> like it's just like it's kind of cool. But one thing about this bowling scene, aside from getting their first kiss which is you can feel the tension throughout. And even when Kay, there's times where they look at each other and, and they're about, you could tell the, the sexual tensions there and she kind of drifts back and starts with a new questioning. There's a lot of, the writing's really great in this scene. A lot of subtext, a lot of subtext, but we're getting a lot of information. I think it's important because, you know, we touched upon uh, Wendy's relationship with the professor and, you know, being controlled and seeking approval and her breaking away, <coughs> excuse me, and taking a job and moving. And then so I thought this is a good, like, companion piece to mm-hmm. get more out of Wendy, like, what happened. And so I, I, I really like this storyline because, you know, I think the Wendy character goes th- is going through change. I mean, she's going through a huge change. She, she moved, got an apartment, career change. She, you know, she's an FBI consultant, not an agent, but, she, you know, even Kay's like, you know, you look like a professor or whatever. And it's it, – it, I believe it's very important because there's a lot that happens with Wendy this season. And up to this point, uh, I, it's important, I think, to hit upon that and her explaining, uh, even though we could see it visually, her old relationship, it was good for her to let it out. And that's what looks like Kay could be someone to let i mean because wendy is you know hiding her feelings because it's the time especially who she works with men and just you know 1980 homosexuality isn't as accepted as it is today so it's kind of like you said she has to compartmentalize that part of her life but it looks like k is that balance of let it out you know let it you know so um, I just yeah, especially really, uh, they, they ha- I'm sorry, Soli, they have that. No, point go just exactly to your point when she's standing there with the bowling ball and she says the ex- thing you said. I have to compartmentalize, and then Kay says, "Well, this isn't going to work," and then Wendy kind of freezes, like, "Uh oh, she isn't comfortable with me kind of being in the closet," you know. And then she goes mm-hmm. up and says, well, you have to hold the ball. This is too heavy, this ball for you. Try that, you know, like, and that Uh-oh. little tango is a metaphor for her saying, you know, you have to carry that weight in a different way, the way that's comfortable for you, right? In a way, kind right. of agreeing. And then we find out that Kay gave up her son and her marriage and gave this her son to her husband and that's a you know that that's a major thing they really get pretty deep in this little date here and like you said i love the way she kind of encapsulates just like explains to us what what happened last season (laughs) i almost felt like they could have cut back to like a montage while she was saying it um I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> yeah, but it was just, it was great, man. I, I don't know. I think that, you know, Mindhunter, whenever it goes away from a case, 
there is the potential for it to drift, but they always bring it back because even as when Wendy's explaining her life and when Kay's explaining her life, I feel like it's like Holden sitting with a killer or Holden and Tench and Wendy in the office discussing their job. It's we're all kind of just like delving into people and parts of people that they usually hide. And we're seeing it exposed for good or bad, you know? And I mean, yeah, that case story is pretty powerful, man. Yeah. And there's a great quote by her where she goes, I made myself a promise to live with as much honesty as possible. And, you know, that's a line where it's like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, where she's she's at home with it and she's living her life and she's, you know, sacrificed a lot, like you said. And then, you know, where Wendy's stuck in that, that you know, purgatory of which direction do I go? So, and we yeah, see very that good played scene, out. Man. Yeah, we see it. Like, don't you think that this scene gives an impetus to why Wendy agrees with Smith to go and do the interview. And instead sure. of kind of like standing in the back of the elevator complaining, like oh, she great does, shot. right? Like, why was I even in that uh, meeting? Was it to make me feel yeah. good? And, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like Kay said, how are you going to carry that weight? Are you going to be in the back of the elevator and complain? Or are you going to step up and like, live your truth. And if you can't, if it's not telling everyone about your personal life at work, which is a lot of people don't tell people about their personal life at work, right? Regardless, there's a lot of people who just don't mix it. Then at least don't allow that to like kind of seep into everything you do. And you become more docile. You hide all your uh, real ideas because you're hiding a part, another part of yourself. You know what I mean? And that's the fight that I think Wendy has is like, am I hiding? What am I hiding? When you hide parts of yourself, that's when you kind of start to not be able to be yourself at any time. And I think that's the struggle. Yeah, and it's a good point because when uh, in the next scene when um, they're debriefing on the next person they're going to interview, they talk about the Candyman, and who's killed twenty eight boys, uh, and but he's dead, and they're going to go interview Elmer Wayne Henley Jr., the man who killed him, uh, and uh, you know uh, the Candyman's the whole bodyboard, and it's just oh, it's just and Elmer was recruiting kids, he was a victim, talked his way out of it, and then started recruiting for 200 bucks a head. But there's great dialogue in there with uh, Greg and Wendy when they start talking about homosexuality and about it being in a deviance. And yep. it's, well, no, it's not a deviance anymore. And so it's just building up from the scene with Kay uh, to her interaction with, with Smith. And then, like you said, later on in the interview and then in the car ride home, which we'll get to, uh, so we have that, and then, of course, a meeting with Ted. Uh, but um, let, let's go uh, – I'm just going to go over the Ted meeting because it re- reflects the elevator thing, and then we can uh, 
discuss. So Ted uh, calls him up for a meeting, but of course Smith, not for Smith, just the other three. Um, yeah, not, not, kid not you. It. <laughs> not you, buddy. And he stands there and he's just like, uncle, your uncle is now gone. So you're not coming yeah, with us anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, another kid's gone missing in Atlanta, but it's a ransom demand crossing state lines in Alabama. So then the FBI can – that's a that's a window for them to go in, which we'll talk about later, which we think – Holden thinks it's going to be bigger, and it doesn't. Uh, and then, of course, that great shot in the elevator you talked about because, uh, you know, Wendy feels that the unit, it, it, it's moving away from why she took the job mm-hmm. and what they're doing. And so uh, – after that, that's when Smith suggests he and Wendy go interview Henley. And it's like, you know, almost like Wendy was waiting for that. Because as soon as he brings that up, she's like, here's the file. Let's do this. Yeah. So uh, uh, that's one thing I didn't get is in the be- one thing that this season confused me a little bit is we get that big triumphant kind of like guns here now, right? And um, you, you're, you're going to get this big new office. You're going to hire new people. You're going to get. You have to get other people to do interviews. But there's still a reluctance from Holden and Tench and Wendy to kind of let anybody but Holden, right, be involved yes. in this stuff. And they. That's why it surprised me when Smith said it, and he was like, "Hey, why don't we go do the interview?" I was like, yeah, why don't you go do the interview? Like you can't yeah. <laughs> hold an intention, can't do everything. You're supposed to, you're creating a whole unit here. At this point, I would yeah. have thought they would have had people doing interviews across the country. You know, like they'd well, hire. Maybe they don't trust anyone new yet. Well, that's what you I know? think the problem is. Yeah. And, and yeah. they're still trying to formulate, like everything's happening so fast. And even though it's been like three years or so from the beginning, from the beginning of season one, um, they get kind of get wrapped up in these cases, you know, and their personal lives too. But I like the way that Wendy's like, yeah, let's go do it. And I think the whole thing with Wendy and Smith, the car ride, the way they work in the interview, the car ride back. I mean, the plane ride and the car ride. I like the way that they're trying to support each other. I mean, even though Smith has obviously stabbed them in the back twice before, and Wendy was not particularly on his side about everything, um, I like the way that they try to work together, and they're both kind of, I don't know, there's like a... It's kind of like a little bit of a redemption story, too, because of the way that Smith, even though that was the way it was supposed to go, he still, he kind of messes up, he's not messing up, but he's still trying, you know what I mean? Like, I still like the way he's trying. Yeah, and let's, let's keep with that, and we'll save the Atlanta stuff as a, as a, as a block. Um, So yeah, it, it, you know. In the interview, I mean, I, I was just I was smirking myself because I'm like, ha, see, see, you want to stick to the form formulaic questions, and yep. you know, Smith is like, go, 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 let me look here, and then Wendy does the Holden thing. Mm-hmm. Wendy goes against script and does the Holden thing, 
And it's like, it's about time that they see, like, it's a perfect example of supervisors saying, you got to do it this way. Well, you're not in the field with us. How do you, know, you, you can tell us what you want us to do, but it, you have to adapt. And so it was good, I believe, that Wendy and Smith were there in the field because then they saw how difficult it is. But Wendy really took charge, and she was, it, she was like, ready for it. And it was, thank God, because Smith was going, oh, my, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but yet, that's what I just felt, that, like, Wendy was very Holden-ish. Uh, you know, as soon as she personalized and went a different route, like, cause, you know, when she first speaks, uh, Henley's like, oh, it speaks. I thought you were just here to throw me off, you know. And, again, another great character, another great, I mean, just the whole to get information out of them. It was very interesting. Denying things. I don't, I don't care what it says in that affidavit, you know. It's just, uh, and then, of course, again, with the homosexuality, um, he really gets fired up when he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not gay. I'm not, well, I'm, he uses a different word, but, um, and he was very like, hey, uh, what did you, what did you get from this interview? Uh, aside from the Smith and Wendy stuff, as they went to Huntsville, Texas, uh, what did you think about this, uh, this character, this Wayne Henley Jr., Esquire, Han, Alex? <laughs> it only ends once um I thought, only, oh, yeah. I thought that um this was great great actor uh again the show is not stereotypical it's not like every single serial killer that they interview is the same the blood the blood you know he seems almost seems very normal and the question of whether he was a victim he kind of had stockholm syndrome or he fell into something that he was attracted to and would have done anyway um is really interesting the connection to what's happening in atlanta right it's the same mm-hmm. you know taking kids right um, the connection to what we later get with Tench and what happens at his how- home and with Brian um, is very obvious. And I think that there's a, a kind of like um, there's like a theme with Smith trying to get into and ingratiate himself with a with the higher powers again, Wendy mm-hmm. kind of doing the same thing, but also maybe being led a little bit by Kay. Um, Brian, who ends up being led by a group of older boys, right? The ba- mm-hmm. the Atlanta uh, murders, young boys being fooled into coming with an older man. It's man, they just like the way this episode is written. They should have layers, man. Yeah, they should have handed this episode over for the Emmys for best drama because everything is connected. As I was sitting there, I was trying to like come up with ideas and notes for this podcast, and I couldn't stop. It was like too much. <laughs> to, yeah, like, right. I had to like. There's too many connections of power dynamics 
of gender dynamics where it comes to like the same thing here was he gay and 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 having a relationship with this older man or was he not the question of also how smith sees it and i think um what you brought up how wendy quickly realizes after fighting with holden but never doing what holden does right never being there and seeing how what actually happens she in a way is kind of influenced by holden right like in the same way that earl is influenced by the candy man there's somehow this silent influence of holden that pushes wendy to completely expose herself potentially if this was last season she may be worried that smith would go to shepherd right Right, right. And say, yeah. hey, I think Wendy, you know, blah, blah, blah. We better watch it. You know, that's why she's not married or, you know. And that old boys club could kick in. So it's really a deep uh, scene here with some fantastic acting. And um, Wendy takes it over. And I just want to see Wendy more interviewing people. Take a little break to remind you of our presenting sponsor cufflinks.com you know sometimes i just go over to cufflinks.com i look at their awesome products and i say to myself how lucky i am to have this amazing sponsor they've got the coolest stuff over there man i just got, you know what they sent me and i'm going to be giving these away some popcorn cufflinks listen to all our podcasts at dvrpodcast.com to find out how but they've got awesome stuff over there so go to cufflinks.com slash dvr and use code dvr20 They've got socks, ties, cufflinks, money clips, tie clips, so much cool stuff, uh, even like pocket squares, just any way to kind of make you look good. Those little touches always help. Don't forget the little details, baby, because cufflinks.com's got them for you. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. Yeah, I do too, and she's really got it, and it, it, it's, it came out in this interview. I mean, we know she was smart, and we know she knows what she was doing, but unfortunately, I think how Ted Gunn comes in and wants to um, uh, fasten the, fasten the pay, you know, f- a faster pace to get shit going, where Wendy was like, well, we need a couple of years. Like, Wendy likes the slower pace, the methodical way, and it, it, it just, you know, she was thrown in now, but she realized, I think she was ready where I, I she kind of did at first. You didn't think she was, but I think once she yeah. got into the element, she was, but you know, she probably would have liked another six months to eight months of just, uh, analyzing and stuff before she went into the field. But with what was going on in her, in her, in her life, uh, I think it, it was the perfect opportunity. Even Greg even says in the car, Wow, you know, way to think on your feet was the perfect time because yeah. I was drowning here and you came in. And it's funny how, you know, this was recorded like Holden's been in trouble and Greg's like, oh, geez, my colleague's going to have a fun, you know, time listening to this. And, and then Wendy is the, you know, you see her and it's like, oh, with what she said, mm-hmm. you know, she's thinking, oh, my God, is my secret going to get out or what's going to go on? So uh, it was just. Well, Very it's well like constructed. she made that decision. Do you think that? What do you do? You think that, or yeah, it was just spontaneous? Um, you know, 
I don't think I think when Greg brings that up, I, I don't think she when she said it in the interview, I don't think she thought because she's in the moment and she's doing her thing, but I think it came to a reality. Now it's on tape. You now mm. you can either deny it or not. So I'm not quite sure how she's feeling at that point, whether she is going to come out and say it. She's getting closer to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to, you know, so I think that's a turning point. It's like, okay, it's on tape. You can either deny it and, and, and hide, you know, and pretend you're someone else you're not. I mean, not that she has to, I mean, she's still the same person, but I mean with people knowing her, her, you know, personal stuff, or does she make the decision, screw it? Everything's changing around me. Mm -hmm. You know, the original formula of what I set out to do, it's all evolving in a different way. Why why don't you evolve too? So I think that's a decision she needs to make. And she might be dating the right person to facilitate that. Or, you know, so again, this episode is so well written and so constructed. Like back in the beginning of the pod when we're like, well, you know, could be a filler to transition episode. It, that would not give it justice. It has that feeling, justice, not just us. Um, <laughs> can't speak, Axel. More than a feeling. Uh, but it just, this, like you said, like I'm watching this episode. I'm like, oh, okay, it's just going to be one of those episodes where we just, okay, we'll talk about it for a half hour. But then you watch it, and like you said, I had like tons of pages of notes. I'm like, stop, Solo. Stop writing notes. You're doing too much. <laughs> but there's so much here. Yeah. Like, this is an episode too where rewatch, rewatch. I know we, you know, we don't have time to rewatch everything, and you know, you want to get the experience out. And you do. The thing is with Mindhunter, you get different experiences on different viewings, yeah. and this experience is just it allowed us to go deeper. And I just, I'm glad. This is where I'm excited. We're doing doing this pod and having to rewatch these episodes because it's there's so much more there then your mind has enough to process. And what you think this is just a seasonal transition episode to set up the second half of the season, there's more than that here. Oh, my God. It's a lot of great character stuff, Axel. Oh, my gosh. $2. Do you have $2 for me? Just this. (laughs) Yeah, what about $2? Just this scene. (laughs) This scene I was just looking at, it's 10 minutes long um, of them sitting there. And some of the parts of it, um, just to go back, that's so important when Greg is asking the questions in the beginning and he says, you know, my name is Greg Smith and we are conducting it. And then he starts asking him the really mundane questions. And then Elmer Wayne is like, um, are all your questions this stupid? And then they they cut to Wendy and her eyes just kind of go down. Um, I think it's just so funny and it, it just shows how we talk so much in season one about the how propulsive it was that things just kept on happening. Like they're just creating a new way of seeing things and how chaotic that is and how sometimes the really some obvious things don't happen which is that that whole fight they were having why didn't wendy or why wasn't holden like wendy you come with me 
If you think it's so great, I want to, I have to think back in season one. Was there a time when Tench said to her, you try sitting there with them and starting off with these boring ass questions and see if you can maintain, you know, we're barely getting them to sit and talk to us. We have to give them shoes and candy, you know, um, (laughs) because it really comes to play here in this this 10-minute scene, it has so much. And the actor's great. He's like, don't call me Elmer Wayne or Elmer or Wayne. Yeah. I was like, whoa, okay, okay. I felt like I was calling him something. But then he comes back and he he starts kind of talking to that. You know, like he's a more normal guy. And I think that that's on purpose because we this is a, in a bit – in the middle of the episode here is kind of more Wendy centric. And we're kind of having that question of Greg too sitting there because Greg has different ideas on sexuality than Wendy does or Elmer or Wayne does. Um, and that's a really interesting uh, idea too. Um, yeah, man. Great, great scene. Oh. Great scene. And the car ride too. You're right. Wendy is going to be, it's out there now, you know, it's on tape and, and Holden and Tench gun are going to hear what if gun, if he wants, who knows, he seems to be getting more involved. He wants to sit down in their meetings. Um, <laughs> he, does, he, he pops up. It's like, I he's mean, the observer. he just like, he pops in. He's the observer. I know he just pops in and it's like, oh, it's just, he pops in at the right time. I love it. Oh, I love it. Good stuff, man. All right. Axel. Yeah. To get to uh, oh sorry did I, did, I, did I get a little loud there like every other pod where people go crazy I don't know why why do people yell on pods so much I don't know anyway uh, okay so the boys go to Atlanta and I'm like this is where for me as our listeners know um, a little versed into this whole uh, Atlanta this whole Atlanta child abduction. Um, I, 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 you know, going into this, I knew, I know everything that happens. And so it's kind of interesting for me to see how Mindhunter does it. Uh, so they get to Atlanta and they, cause they're going to have this ransom call and they go to this, uh, you know, old building and it's like, it's so bare. You got the negotiator telling stories to, to the police officers. They walk in, they see the board and it's like a picture and like a, you know, a couple lines of you know, you know, writing and it's like, and even Holden's like, geez, they're really, uh, they're really, uh, going to work yeah, here. A lot of sitting, uh, a lot of waiting is what Jim says. A lot when of they, sitting. When they meet him. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, Jim comes in and it, and it was almost like they were shocked. Jim was going to be there. Do they not know? And he, he's the liaison. And I forgot that because Bill missed the Atlanta trip last time that this is the first time Bill and Jim, have seen each other in person since the interview. Yep. So it was kind of cool. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, love Jim Barney. He's one of my. Aside from my our main characters, he's like my one of my favorites. I just wish they would hire him permanently and take him with them. Yeah. Um, I'm just anyway. glad to see him back. And again, yeah, man. The 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 whole setup here inside, which is it looks like a old storefront, right? Yeah, that like they're the just kind of yeah, Woolworths. Yeah, that and it's a it's just like abandoned, and there's you know that it. I mean, so much of this again. If you, 
people listening, if you have not seen Killing Them Softly, go out, watch it tonight if you if you've just watched this episode because you'll just it's impossible to explain how there's thematically too that is a lot about the 2008 financial crisis and this too just shows kind of like they're in an abandoned store you know they're in a, a more impoverished part of the city the economics uh, have a lot to do with what's going on and what happens in this case as well. Um, and I think that that is explained through this setup that they're in. They're not even in the police station. Um, but uh, just a little side note on that. Again, see Killing Him yeah. Softly. But uh, also James Gandolfini, ha- great, great performance true. in that movie. Yes. I think it might have been one of his last ones before he passed. Too. I think you're right. I think it was. Yeah, that one in the Julie, Julia Louis Dreyfus, which movie is a great did, film. Oh, I love that movie, man, dude. I got it at a ninety nine cent store, a dollar on Blu ray. That's so awesome. I picked it up. That is definitely anyway. worth a dollar, bro. Um, but yeah. I just want to also mention, film cinematography wise, you can't. Mm-hmm. No one's face is lit. Anytime they're in Atlanta, Holden's face tends you watching it. They, they're not lighting so you can see the star's face, which is something that I absolutely hate. It's like every student film is like, every, you got to see their whole face. No, you see shadows. You see darkness. Um, it's just absolutely beautiful. And they figure out case-wise, you know, they're there kind of on a technicality, right? Holden yeah. had a... He's brought into this case through his date and through the local women, and he has an interest in it. Why? Because he thinks it could be a serial killer, but the FBI can only be called in because it's an interstate thing, which brings Jim into it and the P and the cops or the, and the FBI who are assigned to this. Really? The only people who care are Jim Holden and Tench. Everyone else is just kind of hanging out. It's just another assignment. They're joking about other cases. Um, And it's really just them talking to each other that kind of kicks this thing in the ass and gets things moving um, because they're really just kind of waiting for the supposed kidnapper to call about a ransom for what, $200? 200 bucks. We go from kid. two dollars to two hundred, yeah. and, and and you know, Holden <laughs> knows that there's no ransom here. That this this kid is dead, and that whoever is calling probably has nothing to do with it. But it uh, provides the 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 uh, what are the law reason or the um, the technical reason of why the jurisdiction of the FBI, why the FBI can be involved. So that's kind of interesting too, the way they play that into the whole thing with gun and them and, and, and later what we'll see with the uh, commissioner. Yeah. And you know, and Holden uh, mentions too, it's the first time a killer has crossed genders, like a serial kill, like, cause you have, so, yeah. Cause early on you had, you know, some, uh, some girls missing, you know, and then, it's so it's like weird. It's like this is one of their first cases where um, 
except that one guy they interviewed where it was just opportunity. Um, but um, this one, you know, so, you know, Holden, of course, is so when Brown shows up, Chief Redding and, and then Brown come in. And it's so funny because Holden just basically goes right into what he thinks. And Bill's trying to play politics. Bill does such a great job at, you know, trying to, you know, hold Holden to the point and not go to, it's like, please don't, don't road school it like you did where he went off. And, and basically, yeah, like you said, Holden comes out and says that, you know, there is, there, there probably isn't going to be a call, you know, and, but as Jim tells Holden, you know, it's a power play. The mayor needs to show, I want the FBI, the FBI's here. Um, so, uh, of course, Bill gets a call from Nance and uh, our girl Nance, and so Bill leaves, and we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, so Bill leaves, so it's just Holden and Jim now. Um, so they go in, uh, um, but before that, see, Holden thinks, he's really naive here, Axel, where he thinks the FBI's here for good. It's it's like we're in, we're here. So he goes to see that uh, one of the women he met at the diner uh, at, and uh, – Tells her, like, you know, I'm here for good, and I was here before on my own, and now I'm here, FBI sanctioned, and, of course, there's a lot of hypocrisy there. Well, you know, I talked to Brown two weeks ago, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, Camille, man. uh, She is – the glasses. This whole thing again, this whole scene. The only light is coming through the window. The entire room is dark. When Holden walks into the room, you can't even see his face. Right, and she's obscured with these big glasses that are reflecting off. Right, as she's talking, I know you can't even see her eyes. Yeah, Yeah. it's so much like uh, subterfuge and what is a person hiding. Also, I think that the play it made me think when Holden walks in and he comes when he's standing in the doorway in the light, his face is so white because I mean, he is a pale dude. He's like me. He's like pale as hell. Then as soon as he walks in, he almost starts looking like he's black. You can't even see his face. It's so dark in Hmm. there. And it made me think of that. They're playing with the cinematography and with the lighting, this idea of, do they trust him? Here comes the young white boy who we thought we could trust, but then he left. But now he says he's back just like they did before. And she still doesn't trust him. You get a lot of scenes of women kind of looking at him like, uh-huh, you know? And then the best part is when he's walking out and she says, take some cornbread and he starts taking it. And she says, it's a dollar. right like he didn't you know like he doesn't yet they're coming from two different places they can't seem to communicate or trust in the communication and you know will they ever get there because holden doesn't really understand what he's walking into you know he gets yeah and he's making promises that again that he can't keep he can't keep it and he's he's talking out of turn like that whole scene um, with the commissioner, um, that is who that is, right? Is he the mayor or is he the commissioner? No, I keep on calling him the he's commissioner. He's not the – he's – no, he – I think he's neither. He's – ah, oh, they said it in the episode and I didn't write it down. That's no, not no, the No, he is. He's the commissioner. 
Oh, the commissioner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the mayor. He's yeah. like the second in, in charge or whatever. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a police commissioner. He's so, a commissioner. And um, that whole scene, uh, you had mentioned it. Before. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking about Are you talking about the chief or are you talking about Brown? I'm talking about Brown. Oh, is he the commissioner? Okay. I thought he was something like secret something. They had a different. Maybe he is. Okay. He is yeah. the commissioner. Yep. He is, okay. yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Tench is like, "Hello, Commissioner." Um, oh, okay, okay. And that's part of the deal is that he's the black commissioner, new black commissioner, right? And they said that they have a new black mayor, and that they don't want the they don't want people to think that there is a black serial killer playing preying on black people in their community, and they're not protecting them. Or even to know that in their community that exists because it gives the uh, view that this is somehow bad or they can somehow not, um, you know, police their own as um, the guy said in the last episode. Yeah, exactly. Bad for business. Um, I thought this whole thing, it's like I, I, there, I had a thought, which is. Why didn't Tench, I think the things that are happening at home and that's that that's in the back of his mind, he gets a call from Nance and he kind of, you know, twice, I think he says, you know, I'll call her back later. Right. Yeah. And he's about to call her and then uh, the chief and the commissioner come in and he has to hang up the call. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it makes me think that. That's kind of like Tench, unlike last season where Tench was pulling Holden aside a lot and explaining to him like, hey, you have to do this. You know, you can't talk to this person like that. In a way, Tench didn't explain it enough to Holden. You know, like he kind of should have known. Yeah. So I don't only see that as Tench's, uh, as Holden's fault for coming out and saying it, oh, hey, we think it's a black guy. And then you see the face of the commissioner kind of changes just a little. He's a smooth guy, but you know he's starting to think. And as we see in the end of the episode, it comes to fruition. Um, I kind of felt that Tench didn't really support Holden here. I, I don't think this was an example of Holden like going off half cocked and being arrogant. I don't think so at all. I think it was really that Tench didn't do what Gunn asked him to, which is to kind of, you know, help him. Oh, you're right, because you're right, because he's so distracted too with what's going on at home, and then even more for him to just to leave him there. Yeah. Which, yeah, you're right. That's a great point. Um, it's almost because they talk about they're just here to be in the background and to gather information, whatever. Yeah, it, it's almost like Bill's like feels like he's there. Okay, we got to go once it's done, blah, 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 versus the, you know, backing up holding your right. So Bill Bill kind of slacks a little bit mm-hmm. here because, I mean, for good reason. He's got a lot going on, and he's human, and he can't do everything. Um, and, you know, and, and so that's, that's a great point. And when the commissioner pulls the plug, like sends the FBI home just so they could – flex their mustang we got the fbi down here but we'll take care of it holden it doesn't did not see that coming no not at all not at all and tench didn't have the opportunity to kind of tell him it was coming 
Yeah, exactly. Because normally Bill would be like, listen, Holden, this is the deal. Yeah. Well, if this doesn't ha- – you know, like he wasn't there to – to help him, like you know, to guide him as he's you know done so well, mm-hmm. like and he, he wasn't there. And you're right, and he didn't have the opportunity to kind of, I guess, assign Jim the task of explaining this to Holden. Though Jim does try, yes, it, it's Jim does con- try. It's it's I I don't think he he quite understands who he's dealing with, and that Holden gets so focused on just the case and doesn't give a shit about the politics or the FBI or the police or anything like that. He just doesn't care. He just wants to get, stop this guy from killing kids. Yep. Yep. No. So it's, it's just like, Oh geez. Now hold on. It's like you make these promises. Now you got to go back. Yeah. And, um, all right. Axel. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to talk? Cause I got to bring something up about, uh, you know, I just wanted to talk about the end. Um, I did home. want to talk about, something? yeah, before, because I know we're we're getting to the end here. I just did want to say that the scene when they're waiting for the phone call um, and Holden and Jim are in the mother's home with the other police officer who's trying to explain that it's been four hours and she's crying and she's like, I can feel his spirit. And, you know, as a father myself, this was just, again, the casting on this show is amazing because the mom was fantastic, man. She just immediately captured me. And even though I've seen this, I think this was like the third time I've watched this episode I had like tears in my eyes, man. I mean, this mm. was so hard and you could just right. see, and you just, I just think, you just think to yourself, like, it's one of those cases where people say, do these things really happen? But they do, mm. you know, and that's they the do. world that Holden and Tench live in. And it's even brought more in focus. Well, I'll move it on to the end here where Bill arrives home and instead of, oh, you know, the cops just want to talk to Brian. Hey, don't let him talk to Brian until I get home. Let, you know, don't let them interview him without me, which is a smart thing, right? I always tell my wife that, like, if a police officer asks you anything, just say, wait until my lawyer gets here. <laughs> Bill, like what, what are you knows. guys doing up there in Oregon? Well, just, you know, you just have to, it's official. No. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the old thing when the cops <laughs> say, oh, you need a lawyer? Are you guilty? No, I need a lawyer because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but then when he arrives home, the cops are everywhere. They're in his house, you know, it's just a crazy yeah, you scene. You think it's more you think it's just going to be a, you know Spencer there, you know, talk but there's like why is there cops outside though? Yeah. So it's leading up to some and of course I was wrong. You know, the red herring with the door open and everything. It looks like Brian did have a key, actually. Yep. He did have the key and the older boys and they're saying, you know, they had something to do with the killing of the boy and that it was Brian's idea to you know, spread him like an angel or whatever. And uh, poor Nance is just hysterical. And Bill's just like, oh, boy. Ooh. So 
so, so what happened was uh, they were Nance and Spencer were talking about it, and then Brian came in and basically heard them talking and then kind of nodded his head about things. So, you know, Nance was good with didn't want Brian to talk to him, but Brian came out on his own. Yeah, and Tench couldn't control that, you know? Yeah, he, and he that's wasn't tough there. for him. Yeah, He yeah. can't seem to control anything. There. Things are at he's, work, he, he can't do it. At home, he can't do it. It's, you know... Yeah, he's it, struggling right now. Yeah, and it, it plays into... You know, the breakdown that he had famously and, you know, what? Yeah. how am I supposed to kind of balance my work and my life? And I, he just has to face the fact that he can't control everything and that there's things that are going to happen that he's going to have to deal with. And I will have to say for the their relationship, you know... In the past, Bill has gotten angry when something like this happens or, you know, or like almost blamed her too. And that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right? He starts crying. No. They hold each other. And, you know, man, this was, dude, these two scenes at the end of this episode, Jeez. the phone call with the mom and then this with Nance and Bill and, and their little kid, little boy who they adopted too, right? You know, Brian, yeah, they adopted him. So they, it's just, man, this is heartbreaking. And uh, I guess this is the reason why a lot of people aren't into Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah, maybe, Axel. Maybe. It's we're, on not a, we're on a Wednesday you know? afternoon, yeah. Wednesday afternoon talking about this, and I'm ready to take a nap or do something after this. I'm like, hey, oh, God, I got to watch right? Three's Company or something. I know. It's like, hey, honey, what do you want to do tonight? You want to watch a show about kids dying and parents fucking. You know what? That's, that's a great, uh, great example. Maybe people just, uh, as much as they're into the true crime and serial killing and all that, maybe it's like, you know what? Maybe too much of this stuff isn't good. Oh, the, man. This was really. Soul. Gosh, this was really something else. Um, and the acting, too, by everyone involved, even um, your buddy, the cop, who's just sitting on the couch, and he's like, yeah, I think you need to talk to your wife. Yeah. Just that brief interaction that they have, because we had seen their dynamic where Tench stood up in the church and vouched for him, and now mm -hmm. it's turned to his own son, you know, it's yeah. really um, – I, well, I remember when I first saw it, I thought Tench was going to explode. I thought he was going to be like, get that fuck out of my house, and, you know. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm no. Bill Tench and I have cool shirts. Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> it just <laughs> – wow, man. I can't – I mean, this season is really popping now. We're starting to formulate – the the main through lines and storylines that we're going to follow, I guess, for the next five episodes. There's nine episodes this season, correct? Mm -hmm. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. This season is uh, this season has one episode less um, than last season, and this is just whew, man. Andrew Dominic, the acting, the lighting. You know, solo. We say once a week. Hey. Let's do Mindhunter on Wednesday, right? And then we mm -hmm. we rewatch, we get ready, and I am in one world. I'm in my life. 
you know, I'm making dinner for the family. I'm doing whatever. Everybody goes to sleep. I rewatch the mind hunter, take notes. Then I wake up and I'm talking to you. And it's like, I, I just, it sucks me in each and every time we do the pod and each and every time I watch the episode. Oh, I know. I'm just kind of like almost taken aback how intricately this world is woven through the characters and the themes and the stories. And, you know, I don't know if I've said it before, but this might be the best episode of the series so far. It has everything. It just, it really does. And I mean, I could, you could teach this in film classes and you could teach yeah, this it in was... script writing and it's just amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it is one of the best. Yeah. It, it, it really is. It really is. And one of the reasons why Mindhunter season two was my favorite show of 2019. Uh, it's, it's this, it, it, it just, it, it, it affects you in such a way. It's not this. See, like when I went after I watched the episode last night, rewatch it. Like I, uh, my wife was was sleeping, and I, you know, I watched it, and then I couldn't go and watch something else. I had to play, you know, my baseball game on my iPad, and and <laughs> you know, watch some sports on TV. I had to like decompress because it was so intense. Yeah. And and I find it like when I watched Mindhunter the first time, you know, I watch it on my television and you know surround sound all that. When I do these rewatches, I watch it on my iPad, so I'm you know it's like a different way to get engaged. But it's so close uh, with the iPad that I'm just like I feel like I'm there with them. So yeah, yeah. so my Wednesdays is like after the pot, it's like recovery day. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I tried. I watch. Um, I try to watch with headphones because the sound mixing and sound design on this show is so amazing. And um, this episode too, the the um, the score by Reznor and Atticus Ross, just a oh, mm, love those dudes, just the little man. notes that kind of are uh, an undercurrent, as though they're kind of guiding. What not only us, but the people on screen, it's a different way of scoring um, that I really kind of, I don't know. It's almost like it weaves from out of the TV back into the, what's happening on the screen. And you almost believe that if Holden or Tench were to just like in the middle of a scene go, did you hear that? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's actually yeah. there. Like, yeah, it's crazy. yeah and, and with this and with the closing credits, you didn't get like a, you know, a cool song that's no. on our mix. Mm -hmm. It was the score, you know, which is appropriate. Yeah, um, and a fade you know, out so, on their hug and a fade and out a pull fade Not, out on the hug. So many pulls um, in this when when they're when they hug and then the camera pulls back. When the camera starts on the phone with the little device on it to listen when they're waiting for the call and oh, it just yeah. pulls back and then stops and that's the shot for the rest of the scene. It's like I've said before, the, to me, the sign of great directing is that you go for it. You go all the way. You don't start that pull and then stop and cut to someone who's talking. You pull all the way back. And when you stop on that shot, 
that's the shot you go back to. Don't pull me back to a different mid or a different wide. I want that same shot. And actually, there's um, a technical note. When we leave Holden and Tench in Atlanta and go back to um, Wendy and Smith, there's a shot of Holden sitting at the desk and it's from the side and Tench is closer to the window. When we come back, it's the same shot. Like not literally they move the camera a little, like that is the same shot. That's the kind of stuff that as a former cameraman, I look for Um, that kind of continuity And it just shows to me that they thought so much how to frame that one picture. You know, that's why I always love when you hear the older guys like Scorsese call it moving pictures. When I make a moving picture, because that's what it is. It's a series of beautiful photographs that then are imbued by life with the acting, right? And also with the motion Mm -hmm. of the camera. And man, this episode and Andrew Dominic is one of my favorite directors. Everything, the assassination of Jesse James, everything that this guy has done. Chopper is just oh, absolutely Chopper, mind-blowingly awesome. He is one of the best directors working in the world right now. And um, to have him on Mindhunter is just like a gift when I, we mm-hmm. talked about it, I think last season, we're like, Oh my God, Andrew Dominic is, and Fincher like doing all the, almost the whole season. Cause originally Dominic, I think Saliner was supposed to do the whole season yeah. and then uh-huh. they brought in Dominic too. So it's like Saliner, Dominic and David Fincher, who are literally three of my favorite working directors besides of course, PTA. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I'm starting to. You're yawning. I'm starting to go no, into. No, oh, sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. Uh, thanks for listening to our uh, series recap of Mindhunter seasons one and two. No. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, before we go, so because yeah. I know we have gone a little long here, um, we did have an email. Oh, that's right. I forgot to remind you. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll go over it kind of quick because it's actually from Ellen and Ellen. Uh, we want to thank Ellen from no, Maine. Give it a- all right, we'll give it its time. We don't have to rush yeah. through. Well, I just want to say, because we kind of had, um, she was originally wrote uh, after she was listening to season one, episode nine. Um, and she says, okay. I'm new to your podcast network and late to binge watching Mindhunter. And I'm listening to your pods as I go along. After season one, episode oh, nice. nine, I was ready to rumble, though. Um, sympathy for the foot fetish school principal? No, no, no. He was warned by teachers, parents, and the school board, and the FBI, and still persisted. He deserved to be fired and charged with indecent conduct with minor children. WTF. As a parent, I would have sued him in civil court, too. No way this ever gets a pass in 2020, and very sketchy for 1977. Also, your dismissive portrayal of Holden as arrogant made me cranky. (laughs) (laughs) he is off the rails but there is no behavioral science unit without him he is the originator of the whole thing clutching your pearls about him using salty language with serial killers give me a break we know how corrupt the fbi and law enforcement could be and this has been well since forever how many forced confessions how many innocent people executed 
How many white people let off and black people railroaded? Come on. There are great people in law enforcement, yes. But Holden is being realistic here. You can't use academic scripts or same old police techniques with serial killers. Holden is the key in season one, episode nine. You dismiss him like a silly rookie who needs to get in line. Way off in my estimation. <laughs> the, system ne- yeah, the system needs to change and people like Holden are the ones who do it. Kissing ass is not the answer. At least not always. Phew. This rant is not timely. I may eat my words. You guys in the show have moved on. I just needed someone to talk to, I guess. I I love the show. I honestly do appreciate your podcast and insights and will keep going with both. And then she followed up. I'm listening to your pod on season two, episode two right now. Very relieved that you guys came around to the view that Shepard had to go and Holden really wasn't to blame. I was afraid you were going to stand up for the man at first. (laughs) (laughs) No, we were never. (laughs) I admit to being overly partial to Holden and his creative way of doing things. I also advocate for shaking up the system when it's not working. This show is right up my alley. My background is psychology and special education. People who are different need a different approach. You have to get into their world. Wendy should know this. Get her out of the office and into the room doing interviews. And look at that. Yeah, there you go. And that's exactly what happened. Ellen, thanks for your feedback. And um, hey, I I agree with you. I just think it's that when we do these, uh, when we do in the podcast, we're trying to look at all angles, you know? And I think more so we were trying to see the way that um, we weren't disagreeing with Holden, but we were just being realistic about the way people within the FBI would react to him at that point. Yes. Yeah, and and plus, I mean, listen, Ellen, I'm the one who freaking shaved and parted my hair like Holden, if you remember that pod. So <laughs> I love Holden. It was just, yeah, at that point, he was getting a little, He it was like he was, it was like like when Firefly was on Fox and it was such a great show, but the, the network didn't know what to do and it was like a yep. show before its time and it uh-huh. got canceled. That's what Holden is. He's a guy before his time. We agree with him. It's just we, we also looking at the point of view of every of the characters looking at him. Yeah. Where he was getting cocky and uh, all that. But that was that there was a reason for that. And believe me, it's tough because we've seen the whole series. So we're also trying to go episode by episode like you, like you're watching the episode and then listening to the pod. So we're trying to, you know, stay, not jump ahead. But uh, no, I believe me, I, I, I like when I was first watching it, too, and I, I didn't like I was like, I know what Holden's doing and I know, but I'm like and no one else is catching up with him. That's why it seems like he's over and he was going over a little bit, but it was like. I wanted everyone to catch up with them, you know, and and so it was frustrating. But then when it happened, it was like, oh, all right, good, good, good. They're starting when Ted Gunn came in at the right time, to, you know, because Shepard. Yeah, Shepard. I wasn't a huge Shepard fan to begin with. At first I was. And then he was just too old school. And I'm glad he was out. And then the way he treated Holden, I, I, I kind of really he was dead to me now, but. Um, giving him a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I mean, hey, 
Ellen, I appreciate the feedback. And like you're saying, solo, we have to kind of put ourselves in the realistic, uh, more of a realistic outside looking in. Um, I agree with you, Ellen, that there's been many instances where law enforcement has had to change and excuse me, it happens all the time. Um, and it persists through our society and through many societies and many countries. But there's no denying that when a change maker like Holden appears, they're not going to be greeted with open arms. You know, yeah. and I think that's the, kind of the point we were making. I love Holden. He is the central character in Mindhunter. He's the Mindhunter, you know? He is. Um, so. And he, he's just fantastic. But we also see what happened to him at the end of season one. And we're not talking now. This episode was really the first one that didn't even mention his panic attacks. He didn't seem to be having any, right? Um, that's kind yeah, and, of receded. And it, yeah. And it was more focused on Bill and, and Wendy. Yep. Uh, their characters were holding was just doing his thing. Um but you know that that is a great point like he's so involved in this case now it's like he's forgotten about them which is good he needed to get back to holden yeah and 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 learn from what he did and you know not get too close with ed kemper you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to have lunch with ed kemper and give him hugs uh or take hugs from him but uh but no you know and and that's the thing with we're going to get listeners who come to mindhunter late uh, and, and listen to our pod as they go. So even though you you may say, oh, they've podcasted about this, you know, months ago, still send us an email because, you know, if we get enough emails, we can do like, you know, you know, even when we're done, if you're watching Mindhunter as you're going, as you're going at your pace, send us an email at dvrpodcast at gmail.com and we'll do pods with emails because we want to talk about Mindhunter. We really don't know when season three may not happen for a long time. Uh, so, or they may do a movie who knows what they're going to do. Yeah. So, you know, keep sending that feedback, no matter if it's three years after the fact or whatever, uh, because we're monitoring that and we'll always love to talk mine hunter. Uh, and you can go to patreon.com I mean, slash DVR and become a patron to get more of our pods or just go to DVRpodcast.com and uh, join the community. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Axel, any last words before we set sail to episode five? No, I just want to thank you, buddy, for taking over the hosting this season. It's been a lot of fun and um, I'm just enjoying this. Thanks, Ellen, for the feedback and yeah, send us Definitely. an email. We're going to keep on hunting mines. Keep on doing it, baby. Get them done. Yeah, and, and one thing I just got to say before we end, you know, Axel, you know, I love you, but sometimes I'll tell you, all your questions are stupider than shit. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding.